All right, <clears throat> let's go for the reading of the word of the Lord today to verse 16. <clears throat> Leviticus 21 and verse 16. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron, saying, Whosoever he be of thy seed, in their generations that hath any blemish, let him not approach to offer the bread of his God. Say the seed of Aaron. Which lets me know if you're to be a priest unto God, you have to be born into the family of God. You have to be born into the priesthood. Okay? The Bible tells us in the New Testament that we are the priest of God now. So that everything that we are reading about in the book of Leviticus is a type or a picture of something that we have either experienced in our life or doing in our life as priest unto God. But it tells us right here, if you've got a blemish, whosoever uh, he be of thy seed in their generations that hath any blemish, let him not approach to offer the bread of his God. For whatsoever man he be that hath a blemish, he shall not approach. A blind man, or a lame, or that he or he that hath a flat nose, or anything superfluous, or a man that is broken-footed, or broken-handed, or crooked back, or a dwarf, <clears throat> or that hath a blemish in his eye, or be scurvy, or scabbed, or hath his stones broken. No man that hath a blemish of the seed of Aaron, the priest, shall come nigh to offer the offerings of the Lord made by fire. He hath a blemish. He shall not come nigh to offer the bread of his God. Look at verse 22. He shall eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy. Only he shall not go in unto the veil, nor come nigh unto the altar, because he hath a blemish, that he profane not my sanctuaries, for I, the Lord, do sanctify them. And Moses told it unto Aaron and to his sons and to all the children of Israel. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you today. We ask that you'll speak to us through your powerful, mighty word. We thank you, Lord, that your presence is here with us and in us. And God, we ask you to do a work in us today. We ask that things that need to be healed things that are broken, that need to be mended. God, that you would come in by your divine power and do a work in our lives, that we may worship you in the beauty of holiness. Dear God, we thank you for the awesome opportunity to deliver your word today and to hear the word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Before we get into those particular areas <clears throat> uh, of the book of Leviticus that I just read to you, very briefly without reading a lot of scripture you can take your bibles in your hands and study these things for yourself because they are recorded right here leviticus chapter 21 the first portion of the 21st chapter by the way this deals with the holiness of the priest the book of leviticus is the book of holiness unto the lord but this is the holiness of the priest the first uh, few verses here is dealing with god is telling them not to go in if you are a priest into the presence of any kind of death 
Okay? The only, if you were a priest, the only death, the only person that could, you could go to if somebody in your family died was if it was a very, very close relative of your family. The priest could not go into any type of death. Only the closest relatives of their family. And the high priest could not even do that. If the high priest's mother or father or brother or sister died, they couldn't even go to the funeral. And not only that, but they couldn't stand in the congregation of the people and weep over the loss of a father, mother, brother, or sister. Why is that? Why would God say, you can't even go to your parents' funeral or your brother's sister's funeral if you're the high priest? Because everything about the high priest speaks about what? It speaks about resurrection life. So that everywhere they walked, when they looked at the high priest, he's all about life. He's not about death. He's all about life. So that we, Jesus Christ, how many of y'all believe he's alive today? I mean, he's not dead. He is alive. And he is in this place. He is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. That's why Jesus said that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, why do you say that, that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are alive. Because they associated themselves with the God who is alive, and so they became alive. So everything that talks about Jesus Christ now is that he is alive. And if we are priests unto God, then everything about our lives should declare and should show that God is alive in us. That we are not a dead people. That we are alive unto God. That we have been spiritually reborn. That we have the power of God. That we've got resurrection life. Now let me ask you a question. How can you show the resurrection life of God? Are you here? You know what the Bible says? It says it's demonstrative. Okay? When Jesus came up out of the grave, what happened? Some demonstrations started taking place. The rocks, I mean the stone rolled away. And there was a great earthquake. And all kinds of things started shaking. And Jesus came walking out of that tomb. But listen to me. When Jesus went to the cross, you went to the cross with Him. And you died with the Lord on that cross. If you have repented and you've been baptized in Jesus' name, then you have identified yourself with the cross. Therefore, when He died, you died. So they put Him in the grave, and on the third day He rose again from the dead, and there were mighty shakings, and there was demonstrations taking place, and He came walking out of the grave, so that when Jesus came walking out of the grave, you came walking out of the grave with Him. And if you come, if you have walked out of the grave, somebody's going to be able to see that you've got the life of God on the inside of you because the resurrection power of God is a power that is dynamic. It is a power that is full of dynamite. And when you've got God in you, people are going to know you've got God in you because you're demonstrative and you demonstrate that something has changed in your life. 
See, I was raised in church, and when I used to go to church, uh, I didn't have the life of God in me, so this is what I did. Formal religion. Dead, tried, twice plucked up by the roots and thrown aside. But when I got filled with the Holy Ghost, I threw my religion out the door. And I don't care if you call it Pentecostal religion or apostolic religion. I don't want religion. I threw it all out the door. And now God has given me life so that when you see me, I hope you don't see religion, but you see the power of God in demonstration. And you see the life of God moving from me. If you've really got God, somebody's going to know something has happened in your life. You, it's, it, you can't make it a secret. Somebody say praise the Lord. Now that's, that's the way I can, let me tell you something. Speaking in tongues of the evidence, you've been filled with the Holy Ghost. Because God takes your dead tongue and makes it alive. When that happens to you, Everybody can tell a difference. Because when you go to church, you don't act the same way you used to. I mean, they might see you run. You think your flesh is going to do that? You think religious flesh is going to run and shout and praise God and worship God and stand there full of the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues? You think religious flesh is going to do that? Absolutely not. The flesh is dead and the dead won't praise Him. God said the dead don't praise Him. Woo! But when you get life on the inner side of you, the living begin to worship God. The living begin to praise Him. Because the dead don't praise Him, David said. But he said, I'm alive unto God. Therefore, I demonstrate something and I show it forth. So when you get full of God, your little body can't contain the power of God that is in you. When you really get anointed and full of the Spirit, nobody can shut you up and nobody can make you sit down. Hallelujah. So that's why, let me tell you, that's why I get a little bit concerned when we come to church and we're too quiet. And there's no praise, and there's no shouting, and there's no running, and there's no victory. It's just dead formal ceremonialism and Pentecostal um, emotion and Pentecostal, you know, clubs and cliques. Because when you've got God in the place, miracles will happen all around you. So that your life is to demonstrate everywhere you go, not just in the church house, but on the outside of the church house, that you've got some power in your life, and it's changed you, and now you're alive unto God. Somebody shout praise the Lord. The dead don't praise Him. So if you're a priest, then you're going to demonstrate and show everywhere you go that you've got some life in you. What do you want? You want religion? 
I'll give you Pentecostal religion if that's what you want. Or do you want a real living power and a real salvation experience with God? So that what you do comes out of a motivation that you've got the life of God and the love of God and the power of God on the inside of you. Praise the Lord. Well, I didn't really plan on getting into all that, but I'm telling you right now, if you know God, you've got power. And you've got life. <laughs> and you're not at a dead church. You're in a church that's been filled with the power of God. I came out of religion. I know what that's all about. And one time I went to an altar, threw up my hands. <clears throat> Brother Dice walked over and laid hands on my head and boom. And I went to my knees. Let me tell you what I'm talking about here. And it was like electricity flowing from the tips of my hands all the way through my body. The presence of God was so awesome. He changed my life forever. I know what dead religion is all about and I don't want nothing to do with it. Come on, somebody. So that the priests listen to me. We're talking about the kingdom of God. And we're talking about family members of priests. And we're talking about family members of high priests. But God says, don't even go in the same tent if you're a high priest. Don't even go in the same tent with the dead. Uh-oh. Woo! Which tells me I don't care if they call themselves Jesus' name, Apostolic, Pentecostal. If they're dead, I don't want to even get in the same tent with them. Man, I want to get in the house with somebody that's got some light. With somebody that's got some power. I don't even want to rub shoulders with a dead Pentecostal. I don't even want to rub shoulders with a dead Apostolic. I don't even want to go in the same tent. God said, don't even go in the same tent with them. He said, because that might get on you. Oh. I don't want none of that dead stuff getting on me. I don't like it. Somebody say amen. Well, brother, you just want me to get emotional like, like you and all this stuff. And, but I think I'm just going to hold on to my religion. If you ever experience the real thing, you're, you will never settle for a religion. And I'm not talking about denominations, and I'm not talking about what you call yourself. I'm talking about a vital experience with God where you're alive unto God and you have so much life in you that you don't only want to mess with getting a, in, a, a, into people's tents that claim to be full of the Spirit, that claim to know God, but are really dead. You don't want nothing to do with them. Come on, somebody. Because you've got life in you and you don't want a death to rub off on you. So the next time somebody wants to bring in a bunch of dead stuff to you, just tell them, hey, let me tell you, I'm alive under God. I don't want to hear your death. <clears throat> because what I hear coming from your lips is killing me. It's destroying me. And I'm going to tell you, I'm alive under God. And I don't want death anywhere around me. Just go on out the door of death. Take your death with you. 
you get around religious Pentecostals and religious apostolics and they'll kill you. Somebody shout amen. Let me tell you what you do. You, you tell them, take your death out down the road because I don't want to even get around you because I want to be alive unto God. Whew. How did I get that out of that verse? I'm telling you what, man. God wants a living church right now. He don't want us to even associate with things that bring death to us. Well, brother, I think you're, you look at your brother and sister in the Lord, I think you're a little radical. Okay, you think I'm a little radical? I think I'll just slide over here and I'll be radical and you be dead. And if you just happen to rub shoulders accidentally with somebody that's dead, hopefully you've got enough of the life of God on the inside of you that'll cause that person to come alive and be resurrected. The Bible said they took a dead man. Remember Elisha said this to Elijah. He said, I want a double portion of your spirit, Elijah. And Elijah said, you've asked for a hard thing. Elijah gets picked up, taken up. Elisha goes down, picks up his mantle. And do you know that Elisha did exactly twice as many miracles as Elijah did? But he still needed another miracle. So you know what happened? They found a dead man. And they walked over there and they, they saw this sepulcher here. And Elisha happened to be in the sepulcher. So they just picked the dead man up, threw him over on top of the bones of Elisha. And the bones of Elisha had so much life in it and so much power in it that when that dead body fell on the bones of Elisha, that dead body came up out of the grave. You know why? Because God's prophet is a prophet of life. And God speaks of life. And the high priest speaks of life. And the prophets of God. Speak of life. So I don't want to deliberately walk into a death place. But if death just happens to touch me, I hope I've got enough of the power of God that resurrects it and don't kill me. You know what Paul said in the Romans chapter 7? He said, that he's carrying a, a dead man around with him. Are you with me? Literally, you know what that, if you study that word, literally they used to take criminals and they would chain a dead man on their backs. They'll say if they committed murder, they take the person that they murdered, put it on the, on the back of the murderer. And the back of the murderer, this murderer had to carry the dead man with him wherever he went. Until pretty soon the flesh, decaying, rotting flesh of the dead man began to eat on the flesh of the living man so that the dead man consumed the living man. Well, let me just read to you what God says in His Word. Romans chapter 7, flip over there. Come on, somebody. <clears throat> yes, Lord. Romans chapter 7. The Bible says, look at this, verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? 
I'm carrying a dead man around with me. Now, literally, Paul wasn't walking around with a chained dead man on him. But that's the way he felt. Because your flesh, your fallen nature, is a death. It's a deadly thing. Okay? So that everywhere you go in your life, every day of your life, you're carrying a dead person around with you. It's called a fallen nature. And he, Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Who's going to take this dead flesh off of me? Who's going to deal with this fallen nature that I'm carrying around with me that is destroying me and killing me and causing me to rot away and my flesh to be consumed? And you know what he says? If you read that chapter, 7, ah, 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 ah. Paul's saying, ah, 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 ah. He tried to do it on his own. He couldn't do it on his own. Are you here? He said, I couldn't do it on my own. I got a dead man I'm carrying around with me. But then he says, I thank my God through who? Amen. Let me get there so I can read it. I thank God through Jesus Christ, verse 25, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the fallen nature, the law of sin. But then he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And if you study it, in this chapter, you've got four laws. You've got the law of your conscience, you've got the law of God, and you've got the law of sin and death, and then you've got the law of the Spirit. And the only way that you can get the victory over your fallen nature and over uh, sin and death is to get the life of the Spirit on the inside of you. And when you get full of the Holy Ghost, God is going to deliver you from that dead person that you're carrying around with you because everything that's talking about God right now and His Spirit has everything to do with life. So the answer is, get full of life. Come on, somebody. Or if you don't, what's going to happen is, your nature and sin is going to consume you. It's going to eat you away like you're carrying a dead man chained to you. Come on. But get full of God. Get full of His Spirit. And when a dead man gets thrown on top of you, he'll come up out of the grave. Come on, somebody. Say amen. Would be to God that in our death that our bones have enough of the life of God that our bones can be resurrected from the dead. If you don't have the life of God in you while you're alive, how do you expect to have enough of the life of God in you to resurrect your dead body from the grave? You need to get full of the life of God. You need to get full of the power of God. And somebody's going to be able to see it in this life. Somebody say, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. He's, he's the answer. It's the Spirit of God. Yeah. Well, let me go back. Leviticus. Ooh, Jesus. <clears throat> now, look with me quickly. Y'all got that? How many of y'all are alive under God? 
So God is concerned that everything about us speaks of life and not death. My attitude speaks of life and not death. What I say with my mouth speaks of life and not death. What I do in my life speaks of life and not death. I have to be a witness to the world that God is alive and that he can save anybody. If he saved me, he can do it for you. You know why I know I knew God could do it for Tommy? Because he did it for me. I wasn't as bad as he. <laughs> but I walked down some of the same paths. And I knew if God could do it for me, then he could do it for Tommy. Somebody say, Praise the Lord. <laughs> you know what the church needs? They need some people that recognize they need God and they, that they're sinners. They really need the power of God and they really need the life of God. We don't need religious flesh. People that think they're okay before they ever come to Pentecost or before they ever get filled with the Spirit, they feel like they're all right anyway. We need some people to say, hey, religion, don't do it. I need God. And if He did it for me, He can do it for you. Well, brother, I'm just shy. That's my personality. So am I. I am telling you the truth. Somebody say it. Yeah. So don't, no, you know what? You can't use those excuses on me. You can't come and tell me, well, my name, I'm just a shy person. I'm a quiet person by nature. Okay, well, so am I. Now come on and join us. Yeah! Come on and join us and shout unto the Lord and worship God. And you'll like it. You really will. You'll like it. I don't, have, I don't care how quiet and shy you are and bashful you are. You start screaming unto God and shouting and praising the Lord. You'll like it. Yeah. If somebody's dead, you know what you got to do? You got to go see, hey, are they breathing? Do they have a pulse? Is a heart beating? Are they warm? Are they cold? Yeah. Come on, somebody. If you're alive, you've got a pulse beating in your life. It's a passion. It's a passion. If you're alive, you're inhaling and you're exhaling. That means that you're praising and you're filled. You're praising and you're filled. You're inhaling and you're exhaling. If you never praise, you better breathe. Well, I'm not, I'm not fired up enough to do that. We better check you. Get somebody over here that knows what they're doing. Give you mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. They, I've got Bible for that. Prophet Elijah went over there and laid on the body of a dead young man. He, re, he came back alive. You know why? Because the Spirit of God is a type of the resurrection life of God. He breathed into him and he sneezed seven times. So that God wants to complete your life. 
He don't want you to listen to me. He don't want to leave you dead in any area. He wants to do a complete resurrection power in your life so that everything is touched by his life. So that you got three, man, God, you got three pictures in the Old Testament resurrections taking place. New Testament, three resurrections taking place. And guess who happens to be number seven? Well, the, son, the young man sneezed seven times. Guess who happened to be the seventh one? Jesus came walking out of the grave. He was number seven so that he shows you that resurrection power in him is complete. You don't have to be dead in any way. Dead to religion. You're dead to, to your flesh. You're dead to all the bad things. But you're alive unto God. So maybe the Holy Ghost just needs to get face to face with you and just breathe into you. And then hopefully you'll breathe back. I mean, hopefully when God goes, you just don't go, you hold your breath. I don't care if God's breathing, you're going to die. You've got to exhale what God is doing inside. And that comes by praise. No wonder David said the dead don't praise him. And God said the priest, you can't even go into the same tent if you're the high priest because everything about God is life and it's living and it's powerful and it's awesome. So dead people come around, you just say, hey, come on. I'm prayed up, I'm full up. I'm going to give you some life. <laughs> I like what somebody told me the other day. He said somebody come over to the house started wanting to dump on them, trash on them. And uh, they said, well, let's just pray right now. The Holy Ghost came on them, fell on them. They left singing and shouting victorious and everything was wonderful. That's what you got to do. You got to turn a dead situation into a living. Hallelujah! Oh, me. Well, I hope you're listening this morning. Because I had one little sentence. God wants everything in our life. He's concerned about everything in our life, speaking of life, and that's all I was going to tell you this morning. But I feel the Holy Ghost trying to tell you something today. Somebody say, Praise the Lord. So, when you see a sister, Run out the back of the pews. Close your eyes, men. <laughs> and just say, go ahead, sister. <laughs> Are they rolling out of the floor? Just close your eyes. We get some blankets, throw them on top of them. Say, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's shouting over there by themselves. You look at him and say, what's wrong with that person? Go ahead. <laughs> Shout! You coming to church all down the dumps, depressed? I've been there a few times. Amen? Amen. You coming to church, say, okay, God. Oh, I'm going to worship you, Lord. I don't feel anything. I feel death all around me. 
But I know you, everything about you speaks of life. I've got a need. Jesus, our son of David, have mercy on me. I've got a need. Nobody's telling you, shut up. You're too loud. Well, all the dead people around you, or the blind people or whatever, just let them keep being dead and let them keep being blind. Because Bartimaeus, you're going to get your healing. And they're going to keep their blindness. Because it's speaking of life. Oh, yeah. How many of y'all love to worship the Lord? <clears throat> now, let me ask some of you real quiet ones. Do y'all get excited about anything? I, I, I mean, do you get emotional about anything? I mean, anything. Do you? <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, if you get excited about anything in this life, then that tells me you got something on the inside of you that will enable you to get excited about something that is the greatest thing, and that's God. So why do you want to go out in the world and, hey, something good happened to me, and then come to church all solemn? Like nothing gets you happy and nothing gets you excited. Listen, I, I'm emotional. And in some ways, that's to my detriment. I'm emotional. I am. <laughs> do y'all ever get emotional about anything? Do you have a passion for something? I'm not going to hide my emotion when I come to church. If I'm upset about sin, you're going to know about it. If I'm happy about the power of God, you're going to know about it. Because what I have is giving me a passion. Well, brother, I'm just waiting for it to move on me. Yeah. If I ever get you to understand something, God, listen, we're not waiting on God to do anything. God's Spirit is alive. It's active. It moves. We're not waiting on God. God is waiting on you. If you're waiting on God to move on you, God's waiting on you to move in Him. With the Spirit of the Lord, there's liberty. I challenge some of you who are so quiet to start shouting. And when you do, you might have to resuscitate some of us because we're going to faint. Somebody say, praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> praise God. Yeah. 
Well, he keeps on going. I don't have time to read all the verses to you, but the Bible talks about God is concerned about who you get married to. <laughs> yeah. Somebody shout praise the Lord. Woo, you better fight. You better make sure you get the right one. Because <laughs> when you get the right one, you're still going to have trouble in the flesh. That's Bible. God said in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you shall have trouble in the flesh when you find the right one. What are you going to have if you don't find the right one? Oh, don't even bring it to me. Somebody say, oh, praise the Lord. See, God knows what he's talking about. And he said, if you're a priest unto God and you're alive unto God, you better marry a virgin. And I'm not talking about physical here. I'm talking about spiritually. That means they know God. I mean, some of y'all really did a lot of stuff before you got in God. So I'm not, not talking about physical stuff. I'm talking about spiritual. Somebody say, thank God. But when you get in the church and get in the, in the house of God, you know, you don't do that kind of stuff anymore until you get married, right? All right. And you ladies, he tells you, I just love you. No, he don't. If he loves you, he'll say, hey, I'm going to make sure you're pure until I marry you. Uh-oh. Somebody say praise the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. That's not love. Amen. I don't have to get up here and write it all out to you, do I? No. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But God says that spiritually the priest must marry a virgin. And that virgin must be from among the people of their own kind. Enough said. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Do I have to write it all out? Sister Cardoza says, yes. <laughs> Somebody shout amen. All right, we keep on going now. All right, I need to. Somebody say, yeah, brother, you go right ahead. See, God is concerned about all these things. He really is. You know why? Because he hates mixture. And the chapter 19, and I don't have time to go back, but chapter 19, if you study it, he talks about don't mix stuff. You know why? Because he hates mixture. Well, I guess I, I wasn't going to say anything. But you know what a lot of churches want? They want a preacher that can mix up. They want him to be, do the, to be able to do this, do that, do this, do that, do this, do that. Always mixing stuff up. You know what God wants a preacher to do? He wants a preacher to separate. God hates mixture. Well, hallelujah. Somebody say praise the Lord. I thought God is still here. The Holy Ghost hasn't left. Amen. Which brings me to my finally to my subject. God is concerned about your spiritual condition. It's not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing, everyday thing. Say amen. 
Oh, goodness. Let me just say this. I feel this right now to tell you. Some of y'all are saying, but I love him. I love her, or I love him. Well, get him in the church and get him born again, then God's not going to forbid it. Do you hear me? God, God hasn't cast the person away. He just saying, get him in the kingdom of God. You get him in the kingdom of God, no problem. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, let me go. Somebody say spiritual condition. And because I won't have time to get into Leviticus 22, God is concerned about your spiritual sacrifice. What you bring to the Lord. How you live for the Lord. And I'm not going to be able to preach it today. But you read it and you'll find all the details out. All right? Say amen. Okay, here we go. Y'all ready? So that God tells him right here, look at verse 22. He shall eat the bread of his God, both of the most holy and of the holy. So that we're talking about a people here who have different types of conditions, blemishes in their bodies. God said they can't go in and offer the holy things unto God, the holy bread, but they can eat it. Which tells me that these people are not lost in these conditions. They still get to eat the bread of life. But they have conditions that need to be straightened out. Are you with me? It's not heaven and hell stuff. It's your walk. It is how much can you enjoy your walk. Are you here? See, and I'm going to explain all these things to you. If you're any one of them, you cannot enjoy your salvation. You can't enjoy your communion if you've got these things here, but yet you can still eat the bread. You got these conditions, you're saved, but you still can enjoy some things in God. Because you have conditions in your life that don't allow you to. Do you understand? And these are the sons of Levi, sons of the priest. Aaron. Well, you know what the Bible says? Okay, they can eat the bread, but they can't go in and offer the sacrifices, and they can't get involved in certain things in the ministry. So what are you going to do with these priests? Well, I studied it. I found out what they did with them. They put them over in a little house where they kept all the wood for the burning of the sacrifices. And you know what those priests did? They, oh yeah. They said, I can't do certain high things and certain high callings. But you know what? I'm going to do something. And they set them and they put them in that little house. And you know what they did? They went through the wood. And if there's any bugs in the wood, can't use that to burn sacrifice unto God. And they separated the wood with bugs in it from the good wood. Somebody say amen. amen. There are some things that you, high things you can't do right now. But do something. Don't be idle in the kingdom of God. There's something to do, even if you can't do the high things. Well, I'm not going to do anything unless I can't do the top thing. No, do something until you qualify to do the top thing. Don't get offended if you can't do the top thing. 
Maybe someday you'll get to do the top thing. Do you understand what I'm talking about? I don't, you know, I don't have all the words to... So do you understand, first of all, this has not, you can eat the bread if you're a child of God. Thank God I'm saved. Thank God I feel the Holy Ghost. I don't worry about whether or not I'm saved or lost. Amen? But I am concerned about how much joy can I get? How much victory, how much anointing Now, by the way, there's a lot in these chapters. I don't have time to get into the New Testament, but there's church government in here, 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus, that explains the way the church operates. But I'm going to preach to you these things, okay? Hallelujah. How many of y'all still alive? Mm, thank you, Jesus. And if you got questions in your mind, come talk to me. I wonder if he's talking about me. Well, come talk to me, and I'll tell you. Don't sit there and quench the spirit. At all. Uh, yeah, okay. So he tells us in verse 18, For whatsoever man he be that hath a blemish, he shall not approach a blind man. Say a blind man. <laughs> He can, he can go work. I don't know how. He, maybe one of his friends is saying, hey, this is the one that's got a worm in it. <laughs> Let me give you the spiritual application here. God said if you're blind, you can't minister the holy things of God. There are a lot of spiritually blind preachers and spiritually blind people. If you don't have a vision, you can't preach. If you don't have a vision, you can't minister. You've got to get a vision. And what that means is this, is that you've got to see things and believe God for things that nobody else will believe God for. You've got to believe that God will do something when nobody else will believe that God is going to do anything. You've got to get a vision, because if you don't, you'll perish. You've got to have a spiritual vision. Are you here? So the Revelation 3.17 says what, Brother Mark? Now look at this. He's going to read it for us. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and, and, naked. and naked. He said that in the book of Revelation, to the church. He said, you don't know that you're what? Wretched? You're miserable in the church. Wretched, miserable? And poor? Poor. And but, they, but they said, we're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. But God said, you don't know that you're wretched and miserable and poor. Spiritually speaking. Go ahead. And blind. And blind. Are you here? Okay. Mark 10, 50. He's going to read you another verse. Somebody shout, praise the Lord. Praise <laughs> the Lord. We need to get our spiritual vision back. 
Because we are saying we're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Yeah. Go ahead. And he, casting away his garment. Who? Who's he? Bartimaeus. Go ahead. Rose. Rose. And came to Jesus. And came to Jesus. Go ahead. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? What would you have me to do unto you, Bartimaeus? Go ahead. The blind man said unto him. The blind man said unto him. Lord. Lord. That I might receive my sight. That I might receive my sight. Go ahead. And Jesus said unto him. And Jesus said unto him. Go thy way. Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Revelation 3.17. Jesus said to that church, Laodicea. He said, you say that you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. But I say unto you, you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Are you here? And here comes Bartimaeus, a blind man to Jesus in the New Testament, running up to Jesus, crying out, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. And Jesus stops in his tracks and says, what would you have me to do to you, Bartimaeus? And Bartimaeus said, I might receive my sight. And he said, according to your faith, so be it. You are whole. So what I am telling you today is this. We know that we are rich and increase with goods. We know that in America. I don't care if you live in a hut. You're rich if you live in America. We know that we're rich and increase with goods. We know that. Come on. So we've got to be like Bartimaeus. And take off the beggar's garments that the Roman government has given us. Throw them inside and flee to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want my sight back. I'm telling you today, friend, we know we are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. We know that. But we also know that we need God to be merciful to us and open our spiritual eyes and give us a spiritual vision again. And so they were crying out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on us. We know we're rich and increased with goods. But we need your mercy. And we need you to open our eyes. You're looking at a preacher that's blessed. I am blessed. I don't apologize for it. I'm blessed from the top of my head to the bottom of my foot. I'm blessed and I know I'm blessed. You people have blessed me. I know it. I don't apologize for it. But I also know that I need the mercy of God so that I don't become blind in the midst of our blessings. Some of y'all acting like you're not blessed, so that's okay. You got running water, don't you? Some of you do. <laughs> if you don't have it, you, you found it, right, Sister Grace? She found some, <laughs> thank God. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. 
What I'm trying to show you that if you're spiritually blind, it's affecting your walk. Somebody say, but you got to admit it. You have to admit it. <clears throat> Thank God for them, but don't let them blind you to the spiritual. Okay, anybody here? Well, I did a little study on the eye. Why is God so concerned about the eye? And why do you speak about blindness here? Physical blindness here, but relating spiritually to us. God honors the eye. It's the greatest part of your body. Do you understand that? You are, we are, how many of y'all got eyes to see today? I mean, you can see this dude. You can see me right now. How many can you see me right now? You're blessed. God honors the eye. I don't have time to get in all of it, but let me just tell you something. The little houses that your eyes are inside of right now have seven little bones on both sides that make up the wall in which the eye lives. And there are six little muscles around the eye. Listen to me. Some animals can only move their eye from one side to the other. That's it. You can move your eye up and down, sideways, and around. That's miraculous. That's marvelous. That God put a muscle on the top to pull your eye up, put a muscle on the bottom to pull your eye down, one on the side to pull it this way, one over here to pull it this way, and then a, a muscle running through a, like a little pulley to make it be able to go around and around and around and around. And you got a little house that sits over the top of them. Right here. So that when you sweat, it helps it not just pour into the eye. Just and if it rains, you just don't start pouring in your eye. Got a little house roof that goes. And you got a little eyebrow right here. Makes you look pretty. And what it does is the sweat starts running from your brow and this little eyebrow sends it down to the cheek. And you got a little bitty eyelid that flaps open and closed 30,000 times a day to keep particles out of it. Yeah. But to let light in. So that God created all the luminaries, the lights of the world, uh, before he made man. And he gave man an eyeball so that man could see all the light. But he had to put the light there first so that man could look at all the beauty and glory of God. So that your little eyelid lets light come in. But God is so awesome. There's some creatures that can't see at night. And there's some creatures that are blind during the day. The owl can't see in the daytime. But you're blessed today because God put an eyeball in your head that has the capability of dilating and contracting depending on the amount of light. So that in the daytime you can see and the nighttime you can see all the marvels of God. And there's some animals that can't see the eagle in the sky. But the eagle can look way from up in the sky and see a little bitty animal down there. 
But you got some that can't see very far, and you got some that can see tremendous distances. But here we are with the little eye right here. We have the capability of looking up to the sun and seeing 95 millions away, miles away. We can see a sun in a sky that's 95 million miles away. And with the same eyeball, we can take the pin of a needle and look and see the smallness of a pin of a needle. So that we have the capability to see long and far without any touch of the hand to adjust it. If you take a telescope, you've got to adjust it with a hand to see far away. If you take a microscope, you have to adjust it with a hand in order to get the focus in. But your eye does it automatically every day of your life. It focuses automatically and goes this way and that way and around and all this stuff is built in there by God. God is concerned about your eye, but he's concerned about your spiritual eye today. What do you see in the spirit? And then you go to sleep at night, and water runs down your, not down your face, but in, keeps it moist. And in the daytime, water keeps your eye moist. Somebody say, praise the Lord. You know, God is so good, he's taking care of all the details. If you can't praise God... Mm, yeah he's an awesome God and if you ever come across somebody who have lost their eyesight ask them and they'll tell you what they've lost they can't replace it you need to appreciate it so that you need to appreciate what God has showed you in his word and you need to appreciate your physical eyesight and you need to thank God that he showed you things that people in the world don't see they're walking out there blind listen to me because if you ever lose it then only will you appreciate what you have. Amen? Well, I got a lot, long ways to go here. How am I doing, Sister Angie? She don't know. Let me look. Oh, praise the Lord. I got lots of time. I need lots of time. Amen? He said a blind man. Then he says the lame man. Well, what's wrong with the lame man? Spiritually speaking, in the church house today, there's lame people. What is a lame man's problem? He walks crooked. Here? Somebody say amen. He don't walk straight. He's lame, so he walks crooked. And not only does he walk crooked, but he walks up and down. Are you hearing me? He's up and down all the time. So that the lame man in the church of God is like that. Up and down. 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 And down and up. And down and up. Down and up. And down and up. Up and down and down and up. And their step is not sure. Their step is not certain. If they get into a slippery place, so that those people that are lame, up and down, down and up, up and down, and walking crooked in their pathways, their steps are not certain, and their steps are not sure, so that when they get in a slippery place, they are sure to go down all the way. 
Somebody say praise the Lord. And the lame man is a problem for a preacher and he's a problem for God. I'll let God take care of that one. Somebody say praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. How many of y'all know what problem child is all about? Okay, say so go ahead, preacher. Preach another. Preach on some more. There are lame people in the church. You don't know where they are. You don't know where they're standing. Their step is uncertain. They're up and down, down and up, crooked in their paths. They're lame. That's why God said the lame man can't come in there because he cannot properly worship me. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, y'all get so quiet. I love it when y'all get quiet because I know I'm talking to you then. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. You know what, though? I, I still love problem children. <laughs> I do. God still loves problem children. He said, they're, hey, they're mine. They're problems, you know. I know God. <laughs> yeah. Well, then he goes on, he says this, or he that hath a flat nose. Flat nose. And I guess Sister Martha had a book she put in the garage sale. And I got it. She's a respiratory therapy therapist, I guess, right? Yeah, I think. She, she don't look at me in church. <laughs> but she had this book. I guess she took it, I don't know, in the course that explains the respiratory. So I got that thing. I started reading that thing, and I started finding out what the nose is all about. And it was fascinating. I mean, I found out about the olfactory. Is that how you say that, sister? Olfactory? Oh, thank you. That gives you the capability to smell right. To smell something. Yeah. Right? As far as I know, science has never duplicated the ability to smell mechanically. God has given you something that science can't duplicate. So, yeah. I gotta, I'm going to pick on Brother Obed because he's not here to defend himself. But I'll tell you what Brother Obed's problem is. One night in church, a little, little lady walked by him. And he was praising and worshiping God. And all of a sudden, he started going, he started smelling some perfume. <laughs> and she had walked by maybe a minute ago. He starts smelling some perfume. And he said, I got to find that little lady that is attached to that smell. <laughs> and he went and found her. And they started, bye. <laughs> they started sparking a little bit. And now he's in love. 
so that he forgets his preacher. He forgets who his pastor is. He forgets the church that he goes to. He, he forgets God. He forgets prayer. He just, that's all secondary now. And I know what it was. I know I got a revelation. The old factory gland was working. <laughs> he, he, he's going he's gonna to always be here in church. He's not ever going to go to another church service. You know, he's going to be right here. So, you with me? But God is awesome because he's put in your nose the olfactory glands, the ability to smell. Pick up scents that pass through, pass by you. Not only that, but it's a conduction, it, it, conduction for air. Brings air in and out of your body. Do you know that you have, I believe, if I remember correctly, 10,000 liters of air that pass through your body every 24 hours a day? Is that right, sister? When I go to the hospital for, air for problems, I'm not coming to you. She'll load me up with about 30,000 liters of air. She don't even know how much I'm supposed to have in a 24-hour day. But that is awesome that your nose can, is a conduit for air. And you don't even, you're not even conscious about it. Just all 24 hours a day. 10,000 liters of air flow through your nose. Amen. And your nose, have you ever noticed one side's stuffy and the other one's not stuffy? And you say, why is this one always clogged up but the other one's free and I can breathe out of one but I can't breathe out of the other? Because God has designed it according to this MD to be that way. That every one to four hours your nose will switch and one side will be stuffy and the other side won't be stuffy. And it's a rest, it's a work and rest situation. Now, so that you have to know, listen, let me get into this. You have to be able to sense when the Spirit of God is moving to be a true worshiper. You have to be able to breathe in the Spirit of God into you. Are you here? You have to be able to exhale once you get it. Are you here? Somebody say praise the Lord. And you also have to know when you need to rest and when you need to work. Because you can work yourself into a grave or you can sleep yourself into a grave. Come on. It's all about discernment. That's why God said, can't be a flat nose. You've got to be able to discern. You've got to have discernment. Now, I'll get into that in a little bit. But it's a work-rest cycle that God placed within us. And then, there's little bitty bacteria and enzymes in your nose that when a terrorist, say terrorist, when a terrorist tries to invade your body, these little enzymes and these little bacteria, they put their armor on, they get their swords out, and they, they kill all those terrorists. Somebody shout praise the Lord. So let me bring this all to a spiritual practicality now. You, God said they can't be flat-nosed because something's wrong with their smeller. So that you, listen, if you can't discern the difference between right and wrong, 
If you can't smell when something's rotten, and if you can't smell that something's wrong in your spiritual life, you can't worship God properly and live for Him properly. You've got to be able to discern right from wrong. And when terrorists try to invade your spiritual life, you have got to rise up and you've got to be able to discern. You've got to be able to discern that your spiritual life is in danger. So that when you hear a preacher preach, just because he uses the words or terms holiness, but he doesn't live it. You smell something's not right. Something's not right with my life. I discern that something is destroying me. Come on. Some of us need the great physician to come and give us a divine facelift. Give us another smeller. Reconstruct us. Give us some discernment so that we'll know when the word of God's going forth, if it don't make me feel good, it's for my good. And that when I get under conviction, it's God's goodness that leads me to repentance, but he lets me feel the conviction because he don't want me to be destroyed by the terrorist. Do you have good discernment today? Are there things in your life that you're letting in your life that are destroying your walk with God? Discern them. And if you can't, say, God, give me a facelift. Somebody say, give me a facelift, God. Hallelujah. Oh, I hope I have time. I'm having a good time. <clears throat> Then he goes on and he says this, or a man that is broken-footed. Hmm. Somebody say broken-footed. Well, I don't have a crutch. But a broken-footed man always has to have a crutch. Uh, uh, uh. And what that means is they always, now, yes, we need to encourage people and help people and try to lift them up. You know, we need to be that for them. But my, 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 we shouldn't always have to be a crutch for somebody in the church. Some, some people need a crutch. They need an outward visible support system all the time. All the time they have to have that outward visible support system. Or you'll never see them in the prayer meetings. Or you'll never see them worshiping God. Or you'll they have a hard time walking to the house of God and getting to church. There's got to be somebody always there visibly outwardly trying to support them to get them to the church house, to get them to pray, to get them to worship. They're broken footed. Okay, anybody still here today? Some are going to work and others are just going. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Are you enjoying this? And so, and the broken-footed person, you're never going to see them go teach on Bible studies. 
Oh my. Are you here? <clears throat> they find it impossible to walk with God. They find it impossible to walk by faith. They've always got to have a prop. Always have to have outward support. They can't walk by faith. And they won't walk with God. They're broken footed. Yes. And they can't seem to get in step with the purpose of God in their life. No matter what they do, they can't find the purpose of God for their life. They're broken footed. Are you here? The Bible says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall man up with wings as the eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The Bible said, If you wait on God and you trust God, God will come in there. And if you're broken footed, He is able to make you get back in step with Him. He's able to give you a power and a desire to walk in faith. He'll renew your faith. Come on, somebody shout unto the Lord. God can only heal the broken footed. If you're having a problem walking with God, wait upon the Lord. Pray. Seek His face. Worship. Don't always depend on an outward support. You walk by faith and not by sight. Yes! Somebody say amen. Next thing, broken-handed. Broken-handed. Praise the Lord. I thank God that things running today. You know, last week I only got half a tape, and I had to come back up here and re-preach the last half. Uh, it's not the same. See, broken-handed people. They got a withered hand in the house of God. Mm -hmm. I don't have time to go into all the intricacies of the hand, but it's awesome, really. You look at it, the swiveling, the back and forth, up and the down, and all of that comes from God. Every, every amount and number of bones that are in your hand that cause you to be able to grab a hold of something, the shortness of the thumb, the length of the fingers, all of that goes into your ability to do what you do. You're able to climb with your hands. You're able to pick up with your hands. You're able to use your hand as a weapon. But some people in the house of God have withered hands. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. So that they're unable to work. They're unable to, to, carry, to help carry a burden. Yeah. Is your hand broken today? You can't work for the Lord. You can't carry a burden anymore. You're broken handed. Then the Lord says to you today, stretch forth your hand. You got a withered hand in the house of God, stretch forth your hand. I will give you power again. I'll give you strength again in the hand so that you can carry a burden for God, so that you can labor for God, so that you can serve God. Oh, there's a lot in this. Amen. I want to ask you a question. Have y'all ever had something, your hand broke or your wrist broke or something like that? Nobody? Okay, Brother Andy. Brother Tommy, who else? Brother Foss, shoulder, hands, wrist, whatever. Okay, what do you do when you, get, when you break your hand, broken-handed? You cry, yeah. 
That's right. <clears throat> but when you go to the doctor, <laughs> the doctor doesn't, can't do anything for you if he walks in there and he tries to nurse you. Poor little hand. Prop, prop that little hand up, please, and make it as comfortable as it can. Speak softly to it, tenderly to it, and kindly to it, and maybe it'll fix itself. A broken-handed person, you can't nurse them. You can't. You can preach to them. You can try to be kind to them. Try to be good to them, but they're still broken-handed. I remember what the doctor did to me when I broke my wrist when I was in elementary school. The thing, Brother Obed's not here tonight. He's, my, he's the man that I use as a demonstrator, but he's not here. Somebody want to help me? Brother, come here, Brother Cardoso. <coughs> this is a good one. Yeah, this is what I've been waiting for. <laughs> that doctor, if that, if that hand's broken, you know what he does? He has to reset it. And when he resets it, he gets it, and he don't worry about how you feel. He's not worried about your comfort. He's not talking kind, you know, softly and all of that junk. He said, I got a broken-handed person here. So that he resets that, bones crack, bones pop. It's already broken, it already hurts, and he's going to reposition it. And it's going to hurt worse when he does that than when I broke it to begin with. What's wrong with you, doctor? Don't you understand that I have pain? The doctor knows that he can't nurse it back. He's got to reposition it. So that when you go to the church, if you've got a broken hand, there's got to be a preacher that'll be able to reposition it. And it's going to hurt. But he's got to set your bones. And you have a chief physician. His name is Jesus Christ. Sometimes he's going to cause you some pain because you've got a broken hand that needs to be repositioned. It needs to be set. So you're going, oh, I feel so bad right now. He's talking to me. Your hand is broken. I can't nurse you back to health. It has to be reset. Well, let's go on. Bible then talks about the crooked back, crook back. Crookback. That means the person has a spine problem in the church. They got a spine problem in the church. So they go to church and they're crooked in their backs. So that they never will look up. They're always looking down crooked. And they're bent towards hell. And their focus is hell instead of heaven. And they try to straighten up and straighten out, but they can't do it. There's something wrong with their spine. 
Is God talking to anybody here today? Somebody has to come along and straighten them up and straighten them out because they can't do it themselves. Somebody has to get them standing upright because they're standing downward. So do I have an example in the Word of God? Yes, I do. Luke 13. There was a woman in covenant with God. She's called a daughter of Abraham. Read it later. I don't have time today. But you know the Bible says? She walked by Jesus one day. And for 18 years, she's been crooked in her back, in her spine, looking down towards hell. And she's a daughter of Abraham. And the devil had caused that. She was oppressed by a spirit that made her that way. And the Bible clearly says she could in no wise lift up herself. She couldn't straighten herself out. She couldn't straighten up. She couldn't get right by herself. She tried it. Uh, uh. I'm tired of looking down. I'm tired of looking towards hell. I'm tired of being bent over and crooked in my back for 18 years. But then she goes to the master. What is, what is it? Bones, bones, orthopedics. How do you, when you address a physician, what do you call them? Orthoped, a bone specialist. What do you call them? Orthopedic doctor? Oh, well, that's easy. Jesus is the chief orthopedic physician. Let's put it that way. And she went to Jesus. He cast the spirit away. She stood upright by the power of God. Now she can look up to heaven and give God the glory instead of being crooked and, and not upright and always looking down to hell. Listen to me. Only God can straighten a crooked spine. Only God can get you off of this world and get you off, get, get your focus off of hell and get your focus on heaven. Only God can straighten you out. Only God can straighten you up. Only God can make you walk uprightly. You tried to do it yourself, but you couldn't do it. You tried to lift up yourself, but you couldn't do it. The answer is going to the one that can. Well, then he keeps going. He talks about the dwarf. <clears throat> In the Word of God, you there? Or a dwarf. What's a dwarf? Yeah. What does that mean? They stop going. They're not at the standard. Oh, come on. See, there's people in the church house, they started going to a point, stopped right there, but they stopped way too soon before they got to the standard of God so that they cannot properly worship God in the beauty of holiness because they stopped short of His standard. They're dwarfs. They're spiritual pygmies. They're spiritual runs. Amen. I don't want to stop short of the glory. I don't want to stop short of the standard of God. I don't want to say, well, this is about it. 
That's about it for me. No, God's got a standard that's up here. Don't be a spiritual pygmy or a spiritual runt or dwarf. Come on. Very quickly, last one. Scurvy and scabbed. Scurvy and scabbed. But you have these outward blemishes in the flesh. Now let me show this with you. So that when you look at a person and you see the scabs all over them, God said, come in, they got a blemish. Well, the outward scabs and the scurvy is telling you there's a problem on the inside. Right? And it's festering to the outside. See, it always, the problem always begins inside, not outside to in, but inside to out. And the same thing goes with holiness. Holiness always begins from within this, with the Spirit of God outward to us. You with me? So that you can't say, well, I'm holy inside, but I'm not holy outside. Come on. Because if you're holy inside, it's going to reflect on the outside what's on the inside. Somebody say amen. But there's some of us in the house of God, we get scabs on us. And it's, it tells us there's something wrong on the inside of us. For example, one sister gets mad because she didn't get to sing the special that night. Are you here? I didn't get to lead the prayer service. I didn't get to sing a solo, and oh, sister so-and-so did. She don't, I know that she probably don't give half as much as I do. Somebody say amen. Jealousy in the church house. Dog fights in the church house. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They got to do it, and I, they didn't even ask me to do it. All, let me tell you what that all is. It's all visible scabs that tell that something's wrong on the inside. <laughs> Yeah, come on, somebody. Oh, that church is having revival because they they let down their standard. Oh, yeah, yeah. Come on, stupid. <laughs> jealous, jealous, jealous. Envy, envy, envy. God, give every church in Odessa, Texas that preaches the truth revival. Get rid of your silly, scabby, filthy stuff. Your jealousy and your envy. And rejoice when people are having revival. And rejoice when somebody else sings. And rejoice when somebody else is being used by God. Rejoice! Because scabs and scurvies are just outward visible signs that something's wrong on the inside. It'll affect your ability to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Come on, somebody shout amen. So what we need then is this. Is we need the omnipotent Son of God to come into our churches. And we need him to heal the blind eyes. And we need to shout.
We know God we're blind. We know we're wretched and miserable and increased with the goods that I need another. We know all about it, God. But give us spiritual vision. God, I know I'm brokenhanded. I know I haven't. I find it hard to serve you, Lord. I find it hard to work for you, Lord. I find it hard to carry a burden, Lord. I find it hard to open my hand, Lord. I find it hard, God. God, come in here and heal my broken hand. God, I'm my nose. Something on my nose, God. I can't discern wrong from right. I'm accepting things in my life I know I shouldn't, God. Oh, give me a facelift so I can discern properly. Come on, anybody here today? I'm broken-footed, God. I'm walking up and down and down and up. I'm inconsistent, God. If I don't, if I keep walking, pretty soon I'll find myself in a slippery place and I'll fall all the way down. God, I need you to heal my broken foot. I'm crooked in my back, God. I can't lift up. I can't look up. <laughs> it's all down. It's all bad. I give the devil praise every time I come to church. <laughs> I tell everybody in my life what the devil's doing. I tell everybody that I get around. <laughs> I'm just, yeah. And I just can't seem to straighten up or straighten out. Come on in, omnipotent one, and straighten me up, God, and straighten me out, God, that I may walk uprightly, that I may look upwardly. But you have to be real honest with God. And you have to say, okay, God, that's me. And if you're honest with God, He'll come in here and do it. Are you here? I'm dwarfed, God. That's me. The preacher just talked to me. Um, I, was, I grew for a little bit. Oh, yeah. But I said, this far, no more. God said, what do you mean? You just got in the church, and you're already stopping? Somebody say, praise God. God, I got scabs all over me. <laughs> some of y'all do. I love, I love to look at some of y'all's face when you come to church. Your, your expressions are one big scab. <laughs> I mean, you're scurvy scabbed all over. You're, you got somebody, you're, you're, you know, if we're not careful, we can get bitter. We can get hate. All kinds of stuff. And it's on our expression. So that we need God to come in here and we need Him to put a light on our face. Oh, yeah! So that people can see the glory of God on our face. So they'll know, like Moses, that you've been with Jesus. You've been with Jesus. And all of us at some point in our lives need the omnipotent Jesus Christ to come into our lives, straighten us up, straighten us out, all of that stuff, break our hands, reset our hands, fix our feet, fix our crooked back, set us to growing again, heal our eyesight again, give us discernment again. God is concerned about your spiritual development. 
And if you're still a baby and you've been in the church for 10 years, there's something wrong there. Come on, somebody, save it. If you have to be propped up with outward support all the time, that's not the way that God wants you to be. God wants us to be walking in victory. He wants us, oh yeah, come on, somebody. He wants us to be free. He wants our hands to be made whole. He wants our feet to be made whole, our backs to be made whole, our groin to keep going, our eyes to be able to see, our, our discernment to be able to discern. And discernment's not suspicion. <laughs> I'm suspicious of them. I'm suspicious of that person. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> I, I, lo I love pastoring. <laughs> Some of the stuff I hear. Oh, come on. That you got discernment? No, you're just suspicious. I know what's going on over there at that church. And you hadn't even been there. God showed me. Oh, really? Something wrong with your smeller. <laughs> That's right. You need a facelift big time. Come on, somebody. Say amen. That preacher don't like me. I just know he don't like me. I know he's got it in for me. I just know it. 